As you may or may not know, the last few weeks we had tried to enter into this series, in fact, right after Easter. But for uh, various reasons, we had to delay the series and we delayed it a couple times. But I'm so grateful that a number of you came up to me after service or throughout the week this past week and, and made known to me that, that the delay of this message was on time. That even though I thought it was delayed, it was on time because so many Many of you said to me how timely this message was for your life. And I hope that that will remain to be true, not just with this series, but every series, right? That we feel a sense of timeliness for us. And that's the beautiful thing, that when we enter into God's word and allow God's word to penetrate our hearts and penetrate our minds, that we are given the opportunity to allow his truth to form us and to influence us as we engage the world. So why are we doing this series? Well, the important truth is, is that the reason why we're doing this series is because we live in a time where it is very difficult for us to deal, manage, and figure out offense. We're all so easily offended at different times, and I would be the first one to raise my hand that I can contribute to that problem, right? This last week, in fact, I, I was uh, visiting the Douglas Bible Study on Wednesday, and Jackie was sharing this wonderful story with me at a time that she was offended in life, and hopefully she doesn't mind me sharing this story, but I find it to be a good one. And she was sharing a time in her life where she had a coupon on her counter, and the coupon got taken, and she felt offended in her heart because she had been saving up for weeks to be able to go to this restaurant, and the coupon got taken off her counter and and she felt pretty saddened by that and offended by that well she was venting this offense to her mentor at that time who was Ethel Miller and Ethel looked down at her feet and said you know Jackie you got pretty long toes there and Jackie clueless looks down at her own feet and says what do you mean by that and Ethel of course says because they're so easily stepped on (laughs) And I laughed at hearing that story because I thought about my own toes and I said to myself, you know, my toes could be pretty long at times too. And I think all of ours can, right? It could be surprising the things that offend us and and create offense in our own lives. Well, I think, though, that God wants us to be able to work through those offenses, not just for our own benefit, but really for the benefit of the world around us. It's why I love that our church is called peace, right? Think about that. Our church is called peace because we are to be a people of peace because we follow the prince of peace. And I want people, including my own self, I want people who encounter me to feel a sense of peace coming into their lives and hopefully not chaos. So let's go ahead and open now God's word, and we're going to open to Genesis 37. And we're going to be reading quite a bit of verses today and uh, really finishing out this chapter in Genesis today in 37. And you know, when I was working on this series, I was thinking to myself, what would be a good story through scripture that would really encapsulate the struggle of finding peace and being offended? 
And I really believe that Joseph's story does this well. So just as a way of reminder for anybody that may have missed last week, we're looking at the life of Joseph right now. So in verse 3 there, it kind of summarizes the story that we've been reading through. And it says this, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Is that a good thing, guys? I would say no. So Israel showed favoritism to his son, Joseph, because he had been born to him in his old age and made an ornate robe for him. So what we see here is an issue of favoritism happening in the family. And because of this, Joseph's brothers grow in resentment towards Joseph. Because just as we talked about last week, what happens with unchecked offense? Offense left unchecked will lead to resentment, which will then follow hatred and anger. So we're seeing this happen firsthand in the life of Joseph and his family, with his brothers increasing in anger and hatred towards their brother because of the sin of favoritism in the household. So what happens from there? Well, Joseph gets a dream, and in this dream, he sees his family bowing down to him. And from this, his brothers grow in increased anger towards Joseph. Verse seven or verse eight and nine share this well. It says this: His brothers said to him, "Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us?" And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And unfortunately for Joseph, he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Joseph isn't really paying himself any favors by continuing to share these dreams with his brothers. Now, I've always had the question, why did Joseph decide to share these dreams with his brothers? You know, if from Joseph's perspective, I would think that maybe he's excited. Maybe he just wants to share something positive that's happening in his life. But unfortunately for Joseph, he's not reading the room very well, and he's not noticing that his dream is affirming and touching the very things that create hatred in the minds of his brothers. And I think there can be a life lesson there that to be people of peace, we sometimes need to be careful with the conversations that we have with other people. For instance... If you're in a season where you feel like there's a lot of blessings happening in your life, that is something worth praising God for. But that might not be the perfect time to share all those blessings with somebody that's going through a trial, right? And we all have seen that, felt that, experienced that, right? Where when somebody else is going through a high, 
we might be going through a low. And what's the last thing we typically want to hear? How great life is for somebody else. And don't get me wrong, there, there, there's, there's something to be said about being able to appreciate the blessings in others' lives. But I also think there's something to be said about being aware of other people. You see, one of the easiest ways, I think, to create offense is to just not consider the other people around you. You see, already Joseph's brothers were very upset at Joseph, were they not? Maybe Joseph wasn't wise enough to know that his, the favoritism that his father was, sh- was showering on Joseph was of harm to the family. But I think that maybe also Joseph could have been a little bit more aware or conscientious of how these things would have affected the people around him. So here's the thing. I think to be people of peace, we need to care about others. This is why I love during our congregational prayer time and even in some of the songs that we have sung as well as many of the scriptures that we've read in this church. We need to be reminded of the greatest commandment to love thy neighbor, right? This one, or pardon me, not the greatest commandment, but the golden rule, to love thy neighbor. And part of the greatest commandment is wrapped up in loving one's neighbor, But we need to do this because it is important for us to not look at life just through our own lens. Sometimes I wonder what our world would look like, what our politics would look like, what our relationships would look like if we took time to consider the needs of the people around us. Because you see, it's very easy for us to form a strong opinion about people that we do not know. In fact, I think one of the hardest things that we are experiencing as a culture, and and, and make no mistake, we're kind of the guinea pigs right now, is growing up in a time where we have all of these brand new technologies that we're being introduced by. Now, let me make a little bit more sense of that. But if you think about it, we've never lived in an age in the history of the world where we can have quick and easy conversations with thousands of people, if not millions of people, just by clicking our thumbs on a glass screen. I mean, this is wild. In the history of our world, we've never been able to communicate so quickly, so freely to people around the world. And we have to realize that many of us are learning for the first time what the consequences of that look like. And I think one of the consequences is is it's easier for people to hurt and offend those that they cannot see in front of them. I know for a fact, because I've experienced it, that it is easier to be mean-spirited and offensive to people online than it is in front of them. Because why? Well, if you do offensive things in front of people, you might run the risk of getting 
hit in the face. (laughs) And those risks are not as worrisome over a computer screen. But can the pain and the offense be just as real? Absolutely. I remember growing up, my parents would always encourage me to talk to people in person. And of course, being in that first generation of kids that were able to instant message or call easily over the phone, you kind of wonder why that matters. Well, as I've gotten older and hopefully grown a little bit wiser, I've noticed that oftentimes our communication with people is so nonverbal as much as it is verbal. Both of those things matter, but it makes a difference when you're communicating with people right in front of them. Because why? Because you start to see the image of God that is also in them. You see, here's the thing. One of the beautiful ways to grow in becoming a person of peace versus a person of of offense is to be reminded that every single person in this world, whether male or female, is created in the image of God doesn't matter the color of their skin, the age that they are, they are created in the image of God, which means that the Lord finds value in them, the Lord loves them, and yes, you might disagree with people's choices and the lifestyles and the beliefs that they have. Don't get me wrong, there are certain beliefs out there that are no good and worth rejecting. But that doesn't take away the fact that God sees all of us, all of us, as his creation. And he has put his image inside of us. It might be a broken image because of sin, but we still represent God's image in this world. Which is why I think as Christians, it's so important for all of us, for all of us, to represent the best version of God's image to other people. You know, one of the things that I oftentimes hear when I'm talking to people about church is especially from ones that don't go to church anymore, they'll share a story why they don't go to church anymore. And typically it's from a bad experience. Maybe somebody was unkind. Maybe someone didn't love them well when they were going through a crisis situation. And here's the truth, church. I have my own stories of things that were a blunder in relationships with people in my own church family. These things just happen. And just as a way of reminder, I have never loved somebody in my life that at some point I, wanted, I haven't wanted to strangle. Because <laughs> in relationships with other people, it's messy. And we hurt each other. And we get offended. But so often when I hear these stories of people that say, well, I'm writing off the church because of this story. And look, I don't want to undermine the struggles that people experience and the harm that people have experienced at the hands of other people. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to excuse that. But the reality is, is all of us have gone through that. For me, it's almost like saying, I'm giving up on restaurants because I had a bad experience one time, right? 
We've all had a bad experience, right? We've all had a burrito that we didn't like. (laughs) But we understand that sometimes those experiences are not representative of what it should be. But here's the thing. All of us here are meant to bear God's image well. We're all meant to reflect the goodness of God into the lives of other people. It's why I believe strongly that when people enter into your life, they should in some ways feel the experience of having church. Not maybe the singing and dancing and all the wonderful things that we do. Well, we don't really dance here, not that we're against it, but, uh, you know, maybe all the wonderful things that, that, that we do here up on stage, but there should be a sense of God's goodness coming through you to them. Unfortunately for Joseph, what he chose to do in this moment instead was he chose to touch the very sore spot that his brothers were going through. And he didn't just do that once, but he did that twice. And again and again, he touches on the very thing that his brothers feel offended by. I wonder what it would have looked like for Joseph if instead of sharing that dream, he held on to it. He didn't deny it, but he held on to it and chose to instead help his family come together versus pressing on the very thing that the family is struggling with. You see, I think we need to, at times, have wisdom with how we share with other people. You've heard me say this scripture verse before, that we need to be careful to not throw our pearls among swine. Not because we look at other people like pigs, but rather we understand that there can be a time and there can be a place to share the good things that we have with other people. Otherwise, if we're not careful with that, it could be like throwing beautiful things into a mud pit, which is what that scripture verse is trying to communicate we need to be careful in how we deal with our, our, our offense and how we, we all also how we handle other people's offense. And part of this is also recognizing that the battles that we face oftentimes with other people are not always about the other people. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Kevin? This person said something that felt very personal to me. Well, this is why I believe Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, reminds us of this important truth. Paul, writing this letter to the church of Ephesus, says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What is Paul trying to say here? He's trying to help people understand that the battles that we face with others is not always a battle of me against them or them against me, but rather there's a battle that is happening in an unseen realm between God 
in the kingdom of darkness. And that sometimes the battles that we face with other people have really nothing to do with the other person, but more to do with this heavenly battle that goes on. It's why I believe that in moments of trials, we need to be people who pray. I'm going to ask you a hard question. And church, understand this. I know it's a hard question. When was the last time you prayed for that person that you have an offense against? Have you ever tried to pray for people that you had offenses against? Because here's the thing. It can be a very, very humbling, albeit liberating task to pray for other people. Because it's easy, church. It's easy to pray for people we like, right? But it's not easy to pray for those that we struggle against. It's why I am so amazed by Jesus' character. That even while suffering the way that he suffered, and having insults being hurled on him while he's literally staked to a cross, he prays for others and says what? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. That is a posture that amazes me. And I wonder what our situations in this life would look like if we took on a posture for ourselves of praying for the very people that sometimes harm us or that we feel resistance towards. What would your world look like if you did that? Because here's the thing, guys. If all we're going to hold on to is offense and anger, there could be no uh, a bridge built between two relationships. It takes somebody willingly loving the other person if you want restoration to occur. Because otherwise, you're just going to continue to count the scores between two people. And I don't think that God wants us to do that. The, this last month was a hard one for my family. And the reason why it was a hard one for my family is not only did it feel like we were sick every other day in church, I'm sorry to admit, my kids are sick again. <laughs> and at this point, it feels like almost like a, a comedy of sorts, how often our family has been dealing with sickness. But it was particularly hard this last month because we, we, we had to experience two deaths in our family. Um, Michaela's grandparents, husband and wife, died in the span of a week apart. From Sunday to Sunday, she lost grandpa and then grandma. So this last month, of course, we've been thinking a lot about grandpa and grandma. And grandpa was 98 years old. He was going to be 99 in just a few months. And it was his dream to make it to 100. And that didn't happen. But we're so happy that grandpa gets to be in a place of peace with our heavenly father. But needless to say, we were thinking about the stories of life and the stories of Grandpa. And Grandpa was in that short list of people who was one of the last um, living POWs from World War II. And he told us a story as a family. He famously was at the Battle of the Bulge and was eventually captured by the Germans there. 
And he remembers while being in a, uh, in a prisoner of war camp while in Germany, a story in a time in his life when he felt like everything he had been trained up until that point was to look at the person across from him, specifically the Nazi German, the Germans, and look at them as the scum of the earth. And don't get me wrong, there's plenty of beliefs that the Nazis had that we need to condemn and we need to say, yep, that's some scummy beliefs right there. I'm not trying to advocate for that. But the story takes a turn because he realized while looking at these soldiers that they were no younger than he was or no older than he was. And he realized in that moment just how terrible war is. That he had built up this image of evil in the man that stood across from him, but in reality, he was no different than him. I like that story because it reminds me that even in the midst of great evil, you need to be able to see the humanity in others. Maybe not accept the beliefs of others because some of those beliefs are worth rejecting, but to realize that we are all people. We are all people. So what happens next in the life of Joseph? Well, Joseph's brothers go off to work the field with their animals, and Joseph's father, Israel, tells him to go and find his brothers. So scripture says in Genesis 37, verse 17, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. So unchecked offense led to what? To resentment, and then resentment grew to anger and hatred, and now the offense has built up so much that the brothers want to do what? They want to kill him. And of course, they give him a wonderful nickname. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Interestingly enough, they're the ferocious animals for even thinking about that. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said to this, said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, their innate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Offense, resentment, anger, hatred, murder. Church, we need to take finding peace seriously. Because if we don't, we run the same risks in our own lives. Well, Pastor Kevin... I would never murder somebody. But let me remind you, in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, that he reminds us that if any of us have 
committed that form of hatred in our own hearts and minds towards somebody else, then Jesus says that it is like doing the same thing. It is so important for our hearts to be in the right kind of place. It's why scripture in Proverbs 4.23 says to above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now it's pretty interesting, if you did not know this, in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for heart is lev. And for the Jewish people, they had a different understanding of heart. You see, they believed the word heart meant both mind and emotions. So when they speak about guarding your heart, they're not just saying guard your feelings, but guard your mind and the feelings that you have. Now I wonder if I were to ask you guys and ask myself, how often do we take seriously this act of guarding our hearts? Do we even know what that means? Do we even consider how watching certain programs, engaging in certain activities, allowing certain influences in our lives can shape the way that we think and we feel? For better or for worse? Because the things that we do can influence us in positive ways or negative ways. And I believe that part of guarding our hearts means being careful and thoughtful about the things that we allow into our lives. We need to be people who take these things seriously. Because if we don't, we run the same risk as Joseph's brothers, who allowed offense to be something planted in their hearts, but to grow like a weed that was now leading them down this destructive path of murder. And maybe your path won't be as extreme as them wanting to plot and kill somebody, but any time that we allow these seeds of, 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 of offense or despair or just anything that we might consider evil or toxic in our lives, if we don't try to pluck those weeds out, they will grow and they will grow to harm us. So what happens next to Joseph? Well, they take Joseph, and as Scripture just told us, they strip him of his special coat that his father had given him. You could tell that they are so angry that they want to rip off of him all of the the things that remind them of his favoritism that was shown to Joseph. And they throw him into this empty cistern. And Reuben effectively gets them to not kill his brother. But what they ends up happening is, is they end up seeing a merchant come by. And they get another evil idea. That instead of killing their brother Joseph, they'll sell him into slavery. 
That way the blood of Joseph won't be on their hands and they get to get rid of Joseph anyways. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure which is the better option or at least what I would want to go through in my life. But that's exactly what happens. And finally, when Reuben returns to the cistern and sees that Joseph is not there anymore, he tears his clothes and he goes back to his brother and says, where is he? Because he's mortified at what his brothers did. Deciding to cover up their sins, they take that very coat that represented all that hate that they had to Joseph, and they kill an animal and dip it in its blood and bring it back to the father, and the father immediately looks at the bloody coat and believes that Joseph was killed by an animal. Sin always always leaves its mark. Sin, as we learned last week, always turns peace into chaos. And the saddest thing about this is they did not see that sin always grows in compound interest. I like this quote from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. He says this, good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. An apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or a railway line or a bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. Now, C.S. Lewis was a flowery guy, but if that doesn't make any in impact on you, what he's basically trying to say here is the choices we make, good or bad, we will experience an interest later on. That is a thing, that is a truth that we need to realize for ourselves. Just like the brothers continue to harbor on that offense. They were in compound interest, growing and growing and growing that offense and that hatred. And what, did it, what ended up happening? They were willingly able to sell their own brother into slavery out of hatred. But also, just like the good things that you do, they can create an impact for tomorrow. I want to be known for continuing to multiply good in my life and in the life of others. It's why it's so important to know that God can transform offense into peace. It's the big idea for today. It's what I want you guys to think about through this week, that God can transform offense to peace. I was going to originally write God transforms offense to peace, but I decided to write that word and italicize it 
the word can in there. And the reason is, is because it is in part your decision as well. Are you going to allow God to turn your offense into peace? Because he can do it. But you have to be willing to allow him to do it in your life. You see, we know this to be true because there is no greater example of God turning offense into peace than what Jesus was able to accomplish on the cross and fulfill through the resurrection. Amen? Jesus' death on the cross was the perfect example of him turning offense into peace. Because here's the thing, church. Jesus did not have to die. And we preached this well on, on our Easter service, but let me remind you today. Jesus did not have to die. The offense of our sin was us offending God, us offending ourselves, us offending each other. But God's great love allowed him to willingly come into this world to enter the world of offense and sin that we created and say, I'm going to take this upon myself and I'm going to pay the offense that you've created into this world. But guess what? I'm not going to repay your offense with punishment, but instead I'm going to take your offense and I'm going to make it a vessel of peace. So that when Jesus resurrected, he showed us how he can take offense and turn it into peace. But it's still a choice of our own to make, whether we're going to take Jesus' peace and allow it to enter into our own life, or if we're going to build our walls like we so often do when we are offended and allow that wall to exist between us and God. What areas of your own life do you need to let go of offense with. Church, there's no better day like the present to deal with those things. What would it have looked like for Joseph's brothers to take God seriously, to allow God to transform their offense into peace? Church, how are you handling offense. How are you dealing with it? Today is one of my favorite Sundays, not because it's a special May day, but because it is our rhythm here as a church to take communion together, to be able to break bread and be reminded of this wonderful truth that Jesus transforms offense to peace. So I'd like for you during this time of communion that we're going to move into to think about the offenses of your own life. To think about the hurt that you have received as well as the hurt that you have given to other people. And I want this to maybe be a more special communion than normal. Meaning that I want us to take time to strategically think about how we are handling these offenses. Are we just receiving from God continuously? 
just Lord, make me feel better. God, as great as as the wonderful therapist or the wonderful person that's supposed to give us gifts all the time, because that's not really the relationship with God that we ought to have. Are we truly allowing the Lord to transform us from the inside out? So at this time, I'd like to invite the ushers up so that we can take communion together. And I think Lena's going to be helping out, and so is uh, one of our elders, Phil, here. As I said earlier, communion is an important rhythm for us as a church. It's this opportunity that we are reminded of Jesus' great love and sacrifice for us. So just to give you a few instructions of how we handle communion here, we practice open communion. That means that you don't have to be a member of this church in order to enjoy communion with us. We do have one exception to the rule, though, or we do have one uh, stipulation to that rule, and that is if you are not a believer, that is, if you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, then we ask that you refrain from taking communion, not because we don't want you to take communion, but because we take what this represents so seriously. Communion represents his sacrifice. So we want to take this sacrifice seriously. The exception I offer you, though, is that if you would like to put your faith in Jesus Christ, then we invite you to the table to take communion with us as a declaration of your faith in Jesus, believing what he has done for you. So at this time, what we're gonna do is is if any of you have mobility issues, then you can raise your hand and Lena will